It is excellent to see you here at the King's Church in Sussex, and I'm so glad that you have come to church. A massive welcome to you. Um, if you don't know who I am, I'm Jim, one of the pastors here, and um, my joy to preach this morning. Last weekend, Tim kicked off a new teaching series. Um, hands up if you were here last Sunday. Big crowd of you were here. Um, new teaching series on the global church, and he just brilliantly did this massive big picture overview of God's heart throughout history revealed in the scripture for the nations of the earth. Starting right at the beginning, starting in Genesis, right through to Revelation. He did like a Bible overview in 40 minutes. I mean, it's good stuff, wasn't it? Good job, Tim. Started off in Genesis with God's commission to Adam and Eve to fill the earth and subdue it. God's vision was always to have the earth filled with people who were made in his image, who'd bring glory to him, and would bring the kingdom of heaven in this place called earth. And then we see the progression through the Old Testament, the same promise to Noah, and then to Abraham, you'll be a father of many nations, and that you'll be a blessing to all nations. And we see through his family line of Isaac and Jacob and, and the 12 tribes of Israel. See, this story unfolding of God's plan to bless the nations. Then Jesus in history arrives and some of Jesus' final words was to go to the ends of the earth and make disciples of all nations. And then we see that's what the early church did. They took that seriously and they went outside of their comfort zones to begin to preach about the risen Lord Jesus to other places and nations. And we read what happens at the end. Revelation chapter 7 gives us a glimpse of how it's going to finish. We read that there will be a number that no one can count from every tribe, nation, language and people group gathered around the throne of Jesus, giving him glory and honor and worship. The, the beginning to the end of God's heart for all nations um, great job last week. We saw that. A passion for what God is doing and what God will do around the world in various places and other nations is not just reserved for a small group of people who like to travel. God's heart for the nation should be in the DNA of every local church because we are called to preach about Jesus locally, regionally, nationally and internationally. One preacher said it like this, the world is our parish. The world is our parish. We are called to go to the ends of the earth. And so this teaching series, you really want to get this heart in our local church about this big glorious vision that God sets out in the Bible to make disciples of all nations for the glory of Jesus. It's just huge and big and exciting. But how? How do we actually do this? How do we as a local church in Mid-Sussex engage with this glorious vision that God has to um, go to the ends of the earth and make disciples of all nations? How do we get caught up in this big vision? Because life is busy for us, isn't it? I mean, we, many of us have jobs, many of us have families, um, many of us have homes, many of us have challenges. Some of you have all of those things at once. Life is busy, life is full. Where's the capacity? How do we actually engage with this big, glorious vision to go to the ends of the earth. Well, I want to say right now that it starts right here in this place today. To capture God's heart for nations and for the ends of the earth and for unreached people groups, it actually starts by examining our own hearts and asking the Holy Spirit to examine our hearts to see if our heart attitudes towards people aligned to his heart attitudes to people. It starts here in our hearts. It starts in this church. It starts in this locality. 
See, at the very core, this call to the end of the earth is actually a heart issue. It's a gospel issue. What I mean by that is how we think and how we act needs to be primarily informed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news that he came to die and he rose again for all people. And that's, that's the key thing, for all people. How we view people, how we treat people, how we understand with and engage with people is a heart issue. If you haven't got a heart for people, you'll never have a heart for the nations. Especially, can I say this, if we don't have the right gospel heart and attitude towards people who are not like us, people who are different to us, whether that be different to us culturally or different to us socioeconomically or different to us ethnically, if our heart does not reflect the gospel to people who are different to us here, in our locality, in our street, in our workplaces, in our colleges, maybe should I even say in our churches, if we don't have the heart of God for people, especially people who may be different to us, we will never have a heart for the nations. And so it comes down to right here, right now, our heart, our attitudes before God. Put it another way, we will not grasp God's heart for all people groups in the world if we do not grab hold of God's heart for the people that are in our towns and our workplaces and our colleges and our church who are different to us. The vision and the mission to be part of God's Big picture, to display his glory in all nations of the earth starts at home base right now, how we feel, how we think, how we act. That's where we're heading today, okay? So I'm I'm praying, and I've been praying this for me, and I'm praying it for all of us, that the Holy Spirit will examine our heart attitudes and motives and make sure that how we view and treat people is in line with the gospel, not in line with anything else. I ask you to make that prayer as well. Holy Spirit, examine my heart today. See if there is any impure attitude or motive within me towards anyone else. Here's the thing. The things that I'm talking about today, about multiculturalism, about ethnicity, about race, these are huge, huge subjects in our world today. Just think through the news at the moment. Just think about how many of our stories relate to ethnicity or race or multiculturalism or integration or reconciliation. Let me just give you a few highlights few kind of ideas of how this relates. Of course, there are news stories right now about the crisis in Syria. Um, news stories about ISIS and the barbaric treatment that they're treating other people who are different to them, different ethnicities, religious backgrounds. Our news is full of um, horrendous stories about my mass migration of refugees from Syria across the Mediterranean, about huge numbers in Europe trying to find a home. Our news is full of stories about whether our government or not is going to accept 3,000 refugees, child refugees at the moment. News is full of stories about the European Union and our place in Europe and our engagement with other nations. So you see, all of this is about race and ethnicity and multiculturalism. You go back a little bit further and and our news, that's right now, guys, that's this week. That's the BBC News website this week. A little bit further back in recent history and your news stories might be filled with um, the Scottish referendum for independence, or whether it's with riots in Ferguson in the USA in 2014, or whether um, it was the controversy surrounding black representation at the Oscar ceremony earlier in this year. So many of our news stories are actually about this issue of integration, multiculturalism, ethnicity, reconciliation. Our, our world is full of stories and 
as a local church, we've got to think through, are our worldviews and our attitudes primarily influenced by the news that we read or the newspaper that we read or the political party that we follow or is it informed by the gospel of Jesus Christ? I don't want us to be thinking through this morning. Important big issues. Now it says this in Colossians 3, verse 1 to 2. It says this, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Paul says, look, because you are a Christian, because you have been saved by the grace of God, because you are now seated with him in heavenly places... Set your mind on things above. It's saying how you think should be influenced primarily by Jesus and the gospel. You need to set your mind there. You need to set your mind on him from a heavenly perspective. That is how we are meant to think and feel about the world in which we live. We've got to see things through that perspective. I know I've just read a load of news stories and many of them are deeply political and many of them are deeply um, rooted in kind of economics and this complexity about them all. But the Bible says if you're in Christ, the way you interpret those things is through the lens of the gospel. It's through looking at a heavenly perspective on these things. I guess my appeal to all of us today is this. When we consider issues of Um, integration and culture and ethnicity and national identity and reconciliation, our primary guide has to be this book, The Revealed Word of God, The Gospel of Jesus Christ. And there is a danger, and let me highlight this danger, that our attitudes towards people or people groups or issues can be more influenced by the newspaper that we read than by the Word of God or can be more influenced by the TV shows that we watch than the Word of God, or can be more influenced by the political party that we follow than the Word of God. And what Paul is saying is, set your mind on things above. That's where you should be informed, is from the gospel of Jesus Christ. It says this in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14 to 16, For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died, and he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, listen to this, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. We regard no one from a worldly point of view. Why? Because Christ died and Christ died for all. What's Paul saying again? No, no, don't view people through the lenses that the world views people, we view people through the lens of the gospel, which is Jesus Christ died for all. His love is displayed in that. Not primarily influenced by media or TV or any of those things, but by the gospel. That's how we've got to interpret and understand the world in which we live. So that's my appeal. That's all by just means of introduction. Our starting place as we think through some of these issues has to be the starting place of what does the gospel of Jesus Christ say to me? If we are going to have a heart for nations, what does the gospel of Jesus Christ speak to me about my heart for people who live in my road, who work in my office, who work, go to my college, who are in my church? Now, that's introduction, so let's turn to Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to get into some great words here. If you have your Bibles, devices, please get to Ephesians as fast as you can. It'll be fantastic. We're going to read from verse 13 of Ephesians chapter 2 through to verse 20. 
says this, But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once away, once were far away, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Chapter 2, verse 13. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. By setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who are far away, and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Built on the foundations of the apostles and prophets and with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. Hugely important passage. Paul is writing to a church in the Greek city of Ephesus. And the first half of chapter 2 is this glorious description of the gospel. You were dead in your sins. God made you alive in Christ Jesus. He lifted you up. This isn't by your efforts as if you can boast in your works. No, no, this is by grace. That's kind of Ephesians 2, 1 to 10. You have God's workmanship. He's created you for purpose. It's just this glorious thing. And then he comes on to the second half, these verses that I'm reading here. And he says that those who were once far away have been brought near. Now, Tim touched on this last week. I'm just going to go into it a bit deeper today. So significant. Ephesus is a Greek city. It means the people that live there are not from Jewish descent. This is not a city of Jewish heritage or culture. It's a Greek city. The Old Testament, as Tim unpacked last week, is a story of the Israelites, the Jewish people who were chosen by God to be blessed by God in order to be a blessing to the nations. And then Jesus came and announced the kingdom of God has come, and it's come, and it's not just about redemption of Israel, it's actually about the fact that God is now calling every people, tribe, tongue, and nation to himself. For Jew ends for, the word used is Gentile. That's the word that's used to describe non-Jewish people groups, cultures, nationalities. So Gentiles really speaks of every nation that is outside of the Jewish nation. And Paul says, you who are far away, the Gentiles, you have been brought near. How? By the cross, by the blood of Christ. That's what it says in those verses I've just read. He himself, Jesus, has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Now listen, there was great hostility between Jew and Gentiles. Um, Jewish people would call Gentiles dogs which is about as insulting a term as you could get. Um, they were different in so many ways. They were different culturally, different ethnically, um, different based on religious practice. There were so many things that divided Jew and Gentiles. There was incredible division, as real as any division between people groups in our world today. There was enmity and there's hostility. And look what Jesus has done, what the gospel of Jesus has done. He's taken these two groups, Jew and Gentile, culturally and ethnically diverse, and he's made them one new group. It says he's divided the walls of, he's, he's brought down, destroyed the walls of hostility. He's destroyed the barriers that kept them apart. Look what it says, verse 15, really important verse. His purpose, Jesus' purpose, was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus 
making peace. This is massive. Jesus' purpose. One of the purposes of the cross, we talk about forgiveness and we talk about adoption. Here's one of the purposes of the cross, was to make in himself, in Christ, a new humanity from every nation, people, group, tribe on earth. A new humanity. No dividing walls of hostility, no barriers, whatever your culture or ethnicity or class or socioeconomic background, it doesn't matter anymore because in Christ there's one new humanity and those things that divided us now no longer exist because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is how it happens through the cross. This is why it does it through the cross. First of all, it says in Acts 17 that God from one man made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth And he marked out the appointed times in history and the boundaries of their land. God made all nations of the earth from one man, Adam. That's what it says in Acts 17. We're all family, ultimately. If we went back far enough, we'd trace our family tree back to the same origin. We are all family across the world. God made all nations from one man. Then it says this. No matter what your background or your socioeconomic background or your national identity or your ethnicity or your culture, everyone needs to be rescued by Jesus. Romans 3.23, we all fall short of the glory of God. So we're all on the same playing field. doesn't matter how much you've got in your bank account or how little you've got. doesn't matter what car you drive or don't drive. It doesn't matter what country um, you're from, whether this is your home country or whether you have traveled here and are here for a short term or long term. In, in Christ, it says, no, no, ethnic barriers or class barriers or socioeconomic barriers, no, no, we're all the same. We all need rescuing by Jesus. No one is more deserving. No one is more superior. We're all at the same level playing field. There can be no sense of superiority when we look at the gospel. We're all sinners before a holy God. Then, as I've already read from 2 Corinthians 5, for Christ's love compels us, we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and is raised again. He died for everyone. See, the Bible says this, every nation originally is actually God's creation from Adam. Every person in every nation, whatever background story, is in need of rescue by Jesus. Jesus came and he died for all, no matter what our background. So listen, the gospel is the great leveler, isn't it? The gospel is the great leveler. There's no room for superiority. There's no room for prejudice when you understand the gospel because the gospel is the great leveler. We all need to be rescued by Jesus. And then it says, and his purpose was to create a new humanity through his death and resurrection so that anything that might ordinarily divide us, be that class or culture or ethnicity, is destroyed and we become one new humanity in Christ. So what's going on in these verses in Ephesians? Really, really important. This is why the Bible says repeatedly, there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and all in all. Colossians 3 verse 11. So in Christ Jesus, you're all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, if you're all one in Christ Jesus. It's so, so, so important that we understand this. The the first century church after Jesus was the first institution in history where Jew and Gentile were on the same footing, 
where slave and free were on the same footing, where male and female were on the same footing. The first institution in history where actually those things that would ordinarily divide us no longer matter because we are found to be in Christ and he's creating for himself a new humanity. Massively important and radical. So when people walk into the church community, no longer are they defined or are they divided by the balance of their bank accounts, or even if they have a bank accounts. When people walk into the church community, no longer are they defined or divided by the car that they drive or the car that they don't own, or by the postcode that they live in, or by the color of their skin, or by their first language. These things that might ordinarily in the world divide us, in Christ and in the gospel, no, no, he has destroyed those things because we're one new humanity in Christ Jesus. We are one. And it's his purpose. Christians now define themselves primarily as being in Christ rather than being British or French or South African or whatever it is. Jesus and the gospel is greater than that which divides us. So it's like this. It says in Peter, you are now a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. So listen, my primary identity is now the fact that I'm in Christ, not that I'm British. I'm grateful for being British. Many good things about being British. Our education system is brilliant. Our NHS is amazing. Having travelled and driven on other roads around the world, I'm very grateful for the actual order that there is on our roads and that normally people drive on the right side of the road. There's things that I'm grateful about in terms of British. There's there's stuff about our history and stuff that's exciting. But I'm not defined by being British. I'm defined by being in Christ. And I'm not going to let my ethnicity as British cause any walls of division or hostility because actually primarily I'm in Christ. No slave or free. No Jew or Gentile. No British or French or Kenyan or Bulgarian or Iranian or American for we are one in Christ Jesus. That's what these passages are saying to us. So in this church, it's wonderful. We have... We have people from England and Ireland and Zimbabwe and China and Holland and Italy and Scotland and Kenya and South Africa and India and Trinidad and many, many, many other nations. And it's wonderful, but we do not come together as different nationalities who happen to like being in the same room together. We come together as the new humanity that Jesus has won through his death and resurrection on the cross. And the things that may ordinarily have divided us or may ordinarily divide us in the world or in the workplace or elsewhere have been broken down by his death and resurrection. So here's what it comes down to. If we fully understand this, fully grasp the gospel, if we understand that all people groups come from God, all nations originate from Adam, if we understand that all people need rescuing, if we understand that Jesus died once and for all, for all people to create a new humanity from every nation on the earth, when, when we get that, it leaves absolutely no room for thinking that any class or any culture or any ethnic group is superior than another. Absolutely none at all. There's a term for it. It's called ethnocentrism. Ethnocentrism is the conviction or the feeling that your own ethnic group should be treated as superior or privileged to another ethnocentrism and that is ugliest ethnocentrism has 
been the root of some of the world's most horrific atrocities. European colonialism of African people groups because of ethnocentrism. American settlers driving native Americans from their homes, ethnocentrism, sense of we're superior. Ultimately, Nazism, <laughs> a superior race, ethnocentrism. And they're, they're extreme examples, I know they are. But here's the danger. Unless we make sure that our attitudes are informed by this, in small and subtle ways, ethnocentrism can creep into all of our hearts without even knowing it. A sense of superiority over someone of another class. A sense of superiority over someone from a different ethnic group. Without even knowing it, prejudices can begin to form in our hearts. Stereotypes. Where we begin to see people not as made in the image of God, but as just this people group. Jesus had this. Right at the beginning of his ministry, there's a Jewish guy and said, have you heard that the Messiah is from Nazareth? And, and this guy said, what possible good can come from Nazareth? What's he saying? He's putting everyone from Nazareth in the same thing. Said, what good can come from there? Without, without care, guys, our own hearts can slip into ethnocentrism in various forms. The gospel says, no, we cannot slip into that. We cannot allow prejudice. We cannot allow these wrong attitudes and motives to creep in in the gospel of Jesus Christ. John Piper says it this way, Jesus is the end of ethnocentrism. A radically new way of defining the people of God is here, namely faith in him. Faith in Jesus trumps ethnicity. The new people that he is calling into existence is defined not by race or ethnicity or political ties. He goes on to say it's defined by being in him. So listen, Jesus has his purpose to create a new humanity. So when the church of Jesus Christ on earth somehow reflects diversity, somehow reflects the fact that people from different backgrounds, different social economic backgrounds, different cultures, different ethnic backgrounds come together as one, somehow we are displaying the glories of the gospel to our communities and to our localities. The more diverse, the better when it comes to reflecting the heart of God and the kingdom of God's. The gospel of grace, we celebrate one another, whatever our background is, whatever the clothes are that we wear or the color of our skin, we celebrate what Christ has done in our lives. This is where we need the Holy Spirit to examine our hearts and root out any impure or wrong attitudes or thoughts. And this is a big issue, guys, because, listen, um, multiculturalism, people migration, our our cultures are only going to become more and more diverse, okay? And so local churches need to get their heads around what it means for us as a local church to fully reflect the one new humanity that Jesus died for. The church is so important in this. I want to just spend a few minutes talking about that. Turn over your page to Ephesians chapter 3. I'm going to read some verses here that help us understand what God's intent is now through the church. I'm going to read from verse 7 to 11. It says, I became a servant of this gospel. This is Paul writing. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. God's work, I didn't deserve it, he says. Although I'm less than the least of all the people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. 
his call to go to these other nations and people groups and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things, the mystery that actually now God is forming a new humanity, Jew and Gentile. His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Okay. God has always had an eternal purpose. An eternal purpose means a purpose written before the foundations of the world. He's had an eternal purpose, a plan forever. What is this purpose that now his manifold wisdom be displayed to the rulers and authorities of the heavenly realms, the principalities and powers that he talks about in Ephesians 6? He's going to communicate something to all of kind of cosmos about his manifold wisdom. Manifold means multicolored and diverse. How would he now display the full breadth of his multicolored, diverse, wonderful, varied um, glory and wisdom and nature? How would he do it? He'll do it through the church. The church is not meant to be monochrome. The church is meant to somehow display the beautiful, varied, diverse, multicolored nature and wisdom and character of God to the heavenly realms. So the more diverse a local church becomes, celebrating that we are from different backgrounds and ethnicities and nationalities, yet we are one in Christ, the louder we are shouting about the glory and nature and multicolored wisdom of God. This excites me. I don't know about you. Uh, what a great thing that somehow God wants to do that through his church. That's what he's saying here in these verses in Ephesians. He has this plan, this eternal plan. So the church should reflect this heart of God. It should be this beautiful tapestry meant to represent difference and diversity and people from different backgrounds. And no other human community should really resemble it at all because we understand something in the gospel about unity and the cross. Now listen, I understand. I understand why there are black majority churches and I understand why there are white majority churches and I understand why there are like Filipino churches and Indian churches and Hispanic churches. I, I get why, but also it saddens me because for a world watching on says, you preach a gospel about peace, you preach a gospel about hope for the nations, you preach a gospel about reconciliation, so why do you all meet in your own buildings? But when a church gets this, when a church understands that somehow the glory of God is most fully and vibrantly displayed through our diversity, when you get people from different nations coming together in different ethnic backgrounds and different socioeconomic backgrounds in one room together saying we are one new humanity in Christ, wow, that's wonderful. That is glorious. And the world watches and thinks, man... All of our communities and all of our nations, we've got issues in terms of integration and reconciliation. How are we going to build these new diverse communities? Look what the church is doing. How are they doing it? The gospel of Jesus Christ. So listen, this is three things that happen when churches get this right. First is we point people to heaven. So you know we've talked about this. Hey, Robin. Robin's got a new Frontier shirt on today, so he thinks he should be on stage. We point people towards heaven. Revelation 7, there before me I saw a tribe, a, a, a people that I can count from every tribe, nation, and people group on earth. So when local churches display that when they gather to worship, what's it doing? It's pointing people towards a heavenly reality. It's actually, it is the kingdom of heaven on earth. 
It is something wonderful when we gather every Sunday morning in our diversity and worship our one king because it points to heaven. It's pointing to what it's going to be like. It's going to be glorious. There's the first thing it does when churches get this right. Second thing, I've already touched on this, it points people to God's glory and wisdom because God's glory is most seen, most visibly, wonderfully seen when the church is diverse yet united. So if you're here this morning and you're looking around thinking there's not many people like me here, my response is, great, we need someone like you. We need someone like you. I don't want this to be a monochrome church. I don't want us to be all the same. Because somehow in our diversity, we display the glory of God. You're welcome. Thank you for coming to church today. Third thing is this. It points people to the gospel. In, in, in a, a continent, Europe, trying to work out how are we going to do this? All the challenges that we know, all the news stories. How do we do integration, reconciliation? How do we build multicultural communities? There's one answer. Jesus Christ is making one humanity a new humanity from every nation, tribe, people, group on earth. It's called the church. The gospel is how you do it. The gospel is what breaks down every wall of hostility. The gospel is what breaks down every barrier. It's the gospel. So it points people to the gospel. So when churches get this, it's incredibly powerful. Which means that local churches should have a vision for diversity. If you love this vision that the Bible is laying out, we should do all that we can to make this a reality in Mid-Sussex. Again, John Piper says, if one design of the cross of Christ is to reconcile alienated ethnic groups to each other by reconciling them to God in Christ, then we will not display and magnify the cross of Christ better by more and deeper and sweeter ethnic diversity and harmony in our corporate and personal lives. Jesus is glorified as we deliberately pursue reconciliation across cultural, socioeconomic, and ethnic divides. One of the things that Edward Berea has taught me about in some of the challenges of church life in Kenya, I know we have people from Kenya, so I'm sure you'll be able to help me fully understand this more. One of the challenges in Kenya is that people's tribal affiliations, their historic tribe, their affiliations that is so strong that it can creep into church and their affiliation to Jesus. And when there can be tensions or conflict, people revert quickly back to their tribal affiliation rather than affiliation to Jesus because their historical tribal affiliation is so strong. I've thought about that a lot and talked about that a lot with Edwards, but do you know what? I think we have our own tribal affiliations. They could be equally as strong. We talk to people who are like us. We choose to spend time with the people who are like us. We spend time in our tribes. We don't step outside of our comfort zone to enter into a world of someone who's different to us, to enter into conversation and dialogue and say, God, I'm going to step out of my tribe in order to more glorify God to the gospel locally in this community. I think we all have a danger of staying in our tribes. I think there's a few reasons why we do that. I think, firstly, it can be easier. Well, they like me, they get me. It's easy. I get them, they get me. They understand me. It's easier. Secondly, I think there's a fear that person's different to me, so I don't quite know how to engage. I don't know how to have a conversation. I don't know if I'll be understood. I don't know if they'll understand me. There's a fear we, we hold back. I think 
Sometimes it's just out of comfort. It's just easier to hang out with people that we know who are like us. Let me offer up a challenge this morning. Will we all, for the sake of Jesus and for the sake of his amazing gospel, make every effort to step over the barriers that may divide us? Whether that be based on class, culture, or ethnicity, will we make every effort to step out of our comfort zone across a potential dividing wall, language or culture, misunderstanding, Will we do that for the sake of the gospel? Will we do that for the sake of the fact that Jesus died so he create one new humanity where there is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, but we're all one in Christ Jesus? Would you do that? Would I do that? Are we willing to enter into the world of someone who's different to us? 2 Corinthians 5 says that God reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Note that line. He's reconciled us to himself, and he's given us a ministry of reconciliation. That God has reconciled in the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he's committed to us the message of reconciliation. God has reconciled us to himself, and he's given us a ministry of reconciliation. A ministry of reconciliation means it's a deliberate choice to go and to build a bridge where there isn't a bridge. To cross what may be a divide that exists. To go over and say, I will put out my hand for the sake of reconciliation because I've been reconciled to God in Christ Jesus and he has given me the same ministry of reconciliation. Let me just lead the way in this. I praise God that here at the King's Church we have many people from many different backgrounds, um, many different nationalities. I praise God for that. I rejoice in it. I think we more fully display the glory of God because of it. But I also know we are a predominantly white, English, middle-class community. And I don't begin to really pretend to know or to fully understand what it must be like for someone from a different ethnic background or nationality to try and find your place in our church, which is predominantly a white, English, middle-class community. And I just want to say publicly, thank you for being here. I always want to say publicly, if anything that I have done or we have done intentionally or unintentionally has caused hurt or misunderstanding or exclusion, I want to say sorry. And I repent before God for anything that may have happened that has caused you to feel on the edges or on the margins of our church. I thank God for you, and I praise God for you, and I am so glad you're here as part of the King's Church, Miss Sussex. And I want to learn more what it means to be a minister of reconciliation so that we as a community may truly represent the new humanity that Jesus died for, where there is no slave or free, Jew or Greek, for we're all one in Christ Jesus. So thank you for putting up with us when we don't even realize we're making mistakes. And thank you for being part of this church community. Guys, to build this kind of vision of a local church that displays the manifold glory of God takes every one of us to think through and to pray and to say, Holy Spirit, are there any attitudes in me that do not reflect the gospel? Are there any attitudes in me that do not reflect your heart to all people? Is there any prejudice in me? Do I just stay in my tribe? Am I willing to take a step across the room 
to chat to someone who's different from me. Guys, we'll never, we'll never have a heart to go to all nations if we don't quite feel we're able to walk across the room and chat with someone who may be different to us. The heart for the nation starts here in our hearts. And if we're willing to do that, if we're willing to take that step, cross that divide, I believe we are building a New Testament community in the way that Jesus hoped his purpose, one new man in Christ. And in some way, we're in a small way imitating Jesus. You know, Jesus took one almighty step when he stepped out of the glories of heaven into, into, into our world. <laughs> the infinite chasm that he crossed in order to receive us, we cannot fully comprehend. We were more alien to him than anyone in our world may be different to us. And Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he took on the nature of a servant. He stepped into our world in order to rescue and redeem and reconcile. So every time we take a step outside of our comfort zone to welcome and reconcile, we're somehow reflecting what Jesus did in a very small way, in the massive, massive step that he took. And Jesus died for a vision of a church that was diverse from every tribe, nation, people group. It says this in Revelation 5 verse 9. You were slain. You were slain. Jesus, you were slain. And by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You know, this issue of ethnic and racial um, unity in the gospel is not a small thing. The price paid by Jesus to secure it is immense. His blood shed. He was ransomed so that he could ransom people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. What an incredible thing Jesus did. And his purpose was to create one new humanity from the two. Can we just pray for a moment? Is that okay? So over the last couple of weeks, I... Um, have, as I've been studying time and time again, had to be confronted with this question, God, is there anything in me, any, any attitude, any prejudice, which actually contradicts the gospel? And in this moment, I just feel there's a moment just of stillness and quiet to just ask the same thing. Holy Spirit, I pray, Lord God, that you would shine a spotlight on, on, on our minds and the way we think and our hearts and our attitudes and motives. And would you bring into light, Holy Spirit, anything which is contrary to the gospel. May we repent of those things, Lord. I know I've had to repent for a couple of things that you've highlighted to me, God. We don't want to see people from a worldly point of view. We want to see people from heaven's perspective. Jesus, you died for all. For all. In your 
death and resurrection, you broke down the walls of hostility between Jew and Gentile, but actually in the cross between any two groups of people, whether they be separated on lines of class or culture or ethnicity. Father, help me love people, all people, in the way that you have loved me. And help us as a community to, in our choices and our words, to honor the death and resurrection of Jesus. pray we'd be a community where there is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, English or South African or Korean or Kenyan or Dutch, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. And Father, may your glory be displayed in ever-increasing measure as you bring revelation to us of what this looks like in practice. For your glorious name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.